Hey everyone, Pastor Marty here. I want to thank you for tuning in to our Good Friday celebration. It may seem strange to use that word celebration when we're talking about the death of Jesus, but make no mistake, this is absolutely an occasion to celebrate. Believe it or not, Good Friday has become one of my favorite holidays over the last few years because I love to celebrate what this day represents and I love worshiping with the church on Good Friday. And this year, I have the tremendous privilege of being able to preach my first Good Friday sermon, and I count it such a blessing to be able to share this scripture with you and to be able to share once again the greatest story ever told, the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we never get tired of hearing and telling this story. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 3. The Apostle Paul writes, beginning at verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. Have you ever wondered what's so good about Good Friday? Most people can understand why we would want to celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, but why in the world do Christians celebrate the day of Jesus' death? Why is it that from the very beginning, Christians have chosen the cross as the primary symbol of our faith? For centuries, the world has been scratching their heads at that. Other religions have ridiculed the symbol of the cross. The famous German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche thought Christians were absolutely absurd to worship Jesus, who he dismissed as God on the cross. And when you think about it, it does sound a little absurd to celebrate the cross of Jesus. But the Apostle Paul said it well. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. What's so good about Good Friday? Well, in order to understand the good news of Good Friday, we first have to understand the bad news about sin. Let's look again at verse 23 in our text. It says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That verse should absolutely cause people to tremble with fear. But most people don't take sin very seriously, do they? The word sin doesn't mean a whole lot to most people. Why is that? Well, it's because they don't understand how serious a problem sin is. And they don't understand how serious a problem sin is because they don't know who God is. You see, the story of the gospel begins with a good God. The Bible tells us that God has always existed, that in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth, and he also created humanity. God created us to worship and enjoy him forever, to live in relationship with him. This means that from the very beginning, our lives have belonged to God. And from the very beginning, our lives have depended on God. The Bible also tells us that God is holy, a word that means set apart. The idea is that God is pure and perfect and completely set apart from anything evil. In fact, 
The Bible teaches us that God hates what is evil and loves what is good. And this is indeed good news for us. I mean, how terrifying would it be to live in a world where the almighty creator of the universe was evil and not to be trusted? But thankfully, God is good, and he does not delight in what is evil. While he may allow evil for a short time, the Bible pictures God as a just judge who will one day right every wrong and eliminate evil altogether. And again, that is very good news because nobody wants to live in a world without justice. That's why we have laws and courtrooms and prisons. Humanity instinctively knows that justice is good and that the guilty deserve to be punished. And thankfully, the God of the universe shares our passion for justice. And he has a plan to one day right every wrong and do away with evil. That is great news. But that is also terrible news for us. Because Romans 3.23 tells us that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When you hear that verse, do you ever stop to think, that's talking about me. Do you feel the weight of those words? The bad news, the greatest problem in all the universe is that we have sinned against a good and holy God. We have all rebelled against our creator. We've all failed to love, worship, and obey him. We've all tried to wrestle control from him. We've all tried to live as if we know better than him. Instead of living to please God, we so often live to please only ourselves. In other words, we all sin by trying to be the God of our own lives. And as if that wasn't enough, our sin even turns us against one another. We lie, covet, steal, hate, lust, and the list goes on and on. Because our hearts are sick with this disease called sin, we have all done evil towards our fellow man. And more importantly, we have all done evil against a good and holy God. Now, here's the huge problem with all of this. If God is holy and just, if he loves what is good and hates what is evil, then he must punish our sin. Before we can understand the good news of the gospel, we have to understand the bad news of our sin. And the bad news is that we are all guilty and deserve God's wrath. Jesus spoke of a place called hell, a place of eternal suffering where God will pour out his wrath on sinners. We treat it so casually sometimes, but do you see how terrible, how horrifying sin really is? Because of sin, we deserve to spend eternity cut off from the very source of life, from the God who made us for a relationship with himself. Any sane person should be terrified by that thought. We should all ask, what must I do to be saved? Is there any hope? And the answer is yes, there is hope. There is good news. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just 
and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God has shown us a way to be justified, to be forgiven and made right with him. Paul wrote that we are justified freely by his grace. Freely as in it's a gift that we cannot earn or pay for. God shows us his mercy and grace by giving us a gift that we do not deserve. And we need to understand that it had to be done this way because there was no other way to save us. What could we possibly do to save ourselves? Well, what about if we do a bunch of good works? Will good works save us? No, we can never do enough good works to earn God's forgiveness. It doesn't matter how nice you try to be or how much you give to charity. Your good works don't cancel out your sins. Our good deeds can never outweigh our crimes. No amount of doing will ever compromise God's perfect justice. You see, God is a just judge, and a just judge would never let the guilty go free just because they've also done a few good deeds. There's nothing we could ever do to make ourselves right with God. And that's the problem that the whole Bible is addressing. Every good story has a conflict, right? And the problem of sin is the great conflict of the gospel story. This is the great dilemma that God had to solve. He loves us. He created us for a relationship with himself. But our sins have broken that relationship. And God in his righteousness cannot simply overlook our sins. Sin cannot be left unpunished. So what could God possibly do to save us and yet still demonstrate his righteousness? How could God possibly continue to be just and yet at the same time justify wicked sinners? Thankfully, God in his wisdom had a solution to this great dilemma. He solved the world's greatest problem with the cross of Jesus. Verse 25 says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. This is why we celebrate Good Friday, not because Jesus died, but because of what he accomplished by his death. On that cross, Jesus stood in the place of all mankind as our representative before God. Even though he had no sin of his own to pay for, he died on that cross as our substitute. He suffered in our place the punishment, the wrath that our sins deserved. Paul calls Jesus a propitiation or a sacrifice of atonement. We use the word sacrifice because Jesus willingly, willingly laid down his life as an offering to satisfy God's justice and wrath. And we use the word atonement. It may help to think of it as at one -ment. Atonement means that we can now be at one with God, at peace with God. It means that Jesus has provided a way to repair the broken relationship that sin has caused. In other words, Jesus became the payment for our sins through the shedding of his blood by dying on the cross in our place. And Jesus now extends to us this free gift of salvation. He's taken our guilt upon himself, and now he offers us his guiltlessness, his righteousness. So how do we receive this gift? Verse 25 says we receive it by faith. 
We receive it by placing our trust in Jesus' finished work alone. Verse 27 says, Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. You see, there is only one way to be made right with God, and it's a way that leaves no room for pride and boasting, only for gratitude and humility. It's a way that does not depend on our own good works. The only way to be saved is by faith in what Jesus has already completed. When he was on the cross, just before he breathed his final breath and died, he cried out, It is finished. He had accomplished what he came to do. The price of our salvation was now paid in full. And on our best days, we need to remember that nothing we do could ever add to what Jesus has already done. And on our worst days, we need to remember that nothing we do could ever take away from what Jesus has already done. From Jesus' perfect and complete sacrifice for sin. All the work... All the work is truly and completely finished, now and forever. So I ask you on this Good Friday, where is your hope? We've all sinned and we all need a Savior, so what about you? Have you accepted Jesus' free gift of salvation? Are you trusting in Him for life? If the answer is no, I plead with you right now, Be reconciled to God. Go to Jesus in prayer and surrender your life to him while there's still time. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So no matter what you were trusting in before, I want you to transfer your trust to Jesus. I'm not asking you today to make a one-time decision and then go on about your life like nothing ever happened. I'm asking you to make a commitment to lay down your old life and begin a new one to enter into a brand new relationship with God through Jesus. Remember, you were made for a relationship with God, and sin had broken that relationship, but Jesus died to repair your relationship with God. And remember, a relationship is an ongoing thing. So what I'm asking you to do today is to put your trust in Jesus and to make a commitment to follow him and to live for him from now on. Now let me speak to the church for a moment. I ask the questions, have you accepted Jesus' free gift of salvation? Are you trusting in him? If your answer is yes, then I want to encourage you to worship him now. In just a moment, we're going to take a time of reflection, and I want you to take a moment to just say, thank you, Jesus. You did what I could never do. You lived the life that I could never live And you died the death that my sins deserve. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. Do you see why it's called Good Friday? Do you see why we're not ashamed to celebrate the cross of Jesus? I love to tell the story of what Jesus did on that cross. And I wonder, who are you going to tell? Would you join me right now in making a fresh commitment to live for Jesus? Let's make a fresh commitment right now to do everything we can do to spread this good news as far as we possibly can. I want you to spend a moment in prayer 
just in the quietness of your own heart, I want each person to take a moment to just talk to Jesus about what he did for you on that cross. And then I'm going to pray and we're going to continue in worship with communion. Go ahead and take this time to speak to Jesus. Jesus, we thank you so much for your incredible love for us. We thank you, Jesus, for coming to save us. We thank you, Lord, for the sinless life that you lived in our place. We praise you for your righteousness. Jesus, we thank you for your death for us on the cross. We thank you for your blood that you shed. We thank you on this Good Friday that it is finished. Lord, I pray for the lost, anyone who has not surrendered their life to you, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just rest heavy upon them and that you would draw them to yourself. I pray that their eyes would be open and that they would be raised from death to life, that they would trust in Jesus for life and salvation and make a commitment to follow him. I pray for the church who are listening to my voice that we would continue to trust in you each and every day, that we would continue to follow you and continue to grow closer to you and to continue to grow in your likeness. And God, I pray that you would make it our passion to spread this gospel story as far as we possibly can. Because the world needs to know what you did, Jesus, on that cross. The world needs to know that the work is finished and that there is hope, that there is life and salvation in the name of Jesus. And it is in that name that we pray. Amen. Good evening. It is my honor this evening to join with you in instituting this sacred moment called the Lord's Supper. And right now, I just encourage you, if you picked up uh, the communion elements, to grab those now or make sure that they're with you. Uh, if you did not pick them up, to uh, get some grape juice and crackers or whatever so that we may um, join in um, this uh, Lord's Supper together uh, right now. So take a moment and gather those. We'll be right back. In Luke chapter 22, it shares the time where Jesus was going to have a last meal with his disciples. I think it's incredibly intimate and appropriate that Jesus, knowing that the suffering was about to come, that he chose to be with friends, 
And there's nothing more beautiful and intimate than a dinner table filled with laughter and friendship. And that's how Jesus chose to finish his ministry here on earth. And as the meals were begin to pass, he passed the bread. And he said, take this. This is my body broken for you. When you do this, remember me. And then he took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for the sins of man. As you drink this, remember me. Let us pray. Lord, may we never forget the love that you had for us. May we never forget the sacrifice that you paid for us, the blood that was shed, the body that was broken for all mankind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.